Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Well, all I can say is we have no idea who the president's going to be. <laughs> it is Thursday, November 5th. It has been a week of chaos. Joining Sabrina and I are Alex Michelson, anchor and host of The Issue Is, which I've been on be- twice, three times, something like that. Yeah. And our good friend J.D. Fuller, who is a licensed clinical worker, therapist, mental health clinician, educator, writer, and consultant. So let's just jump right in. Alex, you were just saying you have been on the, you've been on the air how many hours consecutively? Well, I did eight hours the first day. And then I think yesterday I did seven and a half. It's, it is crazy. And it's crazy, like out in the streets, people just, everyone's, Anxiety level, including mine, is at, I mean, I'm at 10 plus. J.D., what are you seeing with that? Uh, Definitely, especially as a therapist trying to work with the community and act like you're grounded. It's not really happening right now. We just need to be present in the situation and accept the way that it is. How are you doing since you're trying to help other people? Are you starting to buckle under the pressure? Come on, J.D. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Knees are buckling. It's overwhelming. You know, there's some statements that have been made in this election that have buckled me completely to the ground. (laughs) Uh, it, it's all crazy. Sabrina and I have been going back and forth basically since Tuesday between phone calls and texts. I feel like this is the most divided our country's been. And we're seeing it play out in real time that almost every state's been 51-48. Everyone's, everything is so divided. And as the count is looking now, someone's only going to get enough in the electoral college by like three points. Well, we don't, not, not necessarily. Uh, it could, it could be, I mean, here's what we know. I know you started, first off, it's very dangerous recording anything like this because it could change uh, so quickly. And by the time people listen to this, they might be, look, you were so wrong, but here's what I'm, I'm comfortable enough. <laughs> by the uh, way, saying. Alex, I get, it, I'm wrong multiple times yeah. a day for a it, number of different reasons. It is overwhelmingly likely at this point that Joe Biden is the next president of the United States. Uh, there is almost no path available for Donald Trump. That's where we're at. So right now where we stand, uh, you know, Nevada, they're still counting. Uh, the places where they're expected to count more is probably going to increase the margin for Joe Biden. Because as Arizona, we speak, wait, I say, as we speak right now, in one of the, I can't remember if it's Nevada or Arizona, Biden's only up by something like 7,000, 8,000 votes. That's, it's that, a very, right, that's, that's my point. It's a very, it's razor thin. That's Nevada. But most of the votes that are still yet to be counted are in places where Biden is doing well, and he's expected to probably increase that margin. So you got to count the votes, yep. but that's, that's where that is. Arizona, 
my network, Fox News, uh, just putting out that it's standing by its call uh, that Biden is going to win Arizona. The Associated Press standing by its call that Biden is going to win Arizona. Then why is uh, CNN that, playing with is, my emotions? Right. So CNN is playing yeah. with my emotions. Why? So if that's I don't know. But if that is true right there, those two things alone. Right. Biden is the president. Now, on top of it, Pennsylvania, as we talk on Thursday morning, is saying that it may re release its results by tonight. We'll see, because everything seems to be slower than when people say. If Pennsylvania goes Biden's way, it's over right there. Georgia, the margin really close there. If Georgia goes that way, uh, Biden wins. So almost every scenario leads to Biden winning, with the exception of Trump essentially um, going ahead in states that he's not currently in and sweeping the other states where his margin keeps going down. Um, so that I think, you, and the other the question is, the only question is, could there be some weird freak thing that happens in the courts? Um, so far, there's been no indication of that, but that's what we have to, you know, sort of wait and see on. The key word, though, that you keep using is if. Right. And I think one of the things we all remember is the last election where, you know, it was not predicted that Trump would win. So even though all the pollsters and all everything, everyone keeps saying if, 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 and if this, is, this seems to be a Biden area, I'm still not sleeping well. Right. Well, but the difference between the last election and right now, I mean, it, there, there's, it's clear that the polls were wrong in this election even worse than they were last election. The polls there in was, advance. There was no but, blue wave. Right. But what we're now dealing with are not the polls. We're dealing with the actual raw vote totals. That's what we're looking at. And right now, Joe Biden is ahead in raw votes in Nevada and Arizona. I mean, the, the irony of, of Donald Trump putting out a tweet this morning that says, stop the count, is that if we actually stopped the count right now, if we stopped counting all votes in all states and we froze it where it's at right now, Joe Biden would be at 270 electoral votes and Donald Trump would lose. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And those, mm -hmm. th those aren't projections. Those are the actual totals that have been put in uh, and are now, you know, in there in the states. What's been sad for me anyway, is seeing that there is so much aggression happening at the not the polling places but where they count the votes and sure. i i find it very very well i found a lot of things very troubling but jd why i mean how are people functioning counting the votes which is a tremendous amount of pressure with people with guns standing and staring at them through the windows i mean in, in a good day nobody necessarily is great under pressure how i mean do you think that's something that's going to come into play I mean, it, it, it increases the uh, risk for human error, you know, unbelievably. I mean, how do you do that under the normal pressure, let alone the threat of your life? It's, it's incomprehensible. It's, it's, it's ridiculous is what it is that in our country, this is happening. How do we start and to work through it? How do we start to process it? Look, I think in order to process it, we have to say some things that are really honest to ourselves which is America is, people need to stop saying, America, we're better than this. America, we're not better than this. This is exactly who we are. It's become very clear, we're divided. Black lives do not matter to anyone other than to black lives. 
and that the country doesn't seem to care about the threat we live in daily. And on top of that, how much people can get together and create a threat for an entire nation and it seems to be okay. I mean, how many things can these people be allowed to do before people really stand up and say, okay, that's enough. I don't know, that's a question we have to answer. And, and the remarkable thing to, to, to that point, I think there are a lot of folks going into this election who thought, okay, if there is a record turnout, so many folks think like I do, for people on the left, that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, is a liar, is a cheater, is a criminal, is a racist, he, everybody around him are either writing books against him or going to jail. You know, the nation has now seen it. This wasn't just an experiment with a reality show president that we're gonna see what happens and give it a try. We've now given it a try. 200,000 people are dead. So there are people on the left that that's how they see the world. And they thought, God, if we can get record turnout, it will be a record blue wave. And this will be a total repudiation of all of that There'll be new people that come in. There'll be a new Democratic Senate. We can get rid of the filibuster, add uh, new justice to the Supreme Court, and this will be a reckoning for America. That did not happen. Regardless of who wins the presidency, whether Biden squeaks by by a few states uh, or Trump somehow wins this in the court, that there was not a record repudiation of Trump and Trumpism. There was not a repudiation of the senators who have backed Donald Trump through every step of this. Most of them were rewarded electorally. So like there are Lindsay, a lot well, of people like, okay, Lindsey, like Graham, Lindsey Graham, like Mitch McConnell. McConnell. I mean, that whole... I mean Jamie, ha Jamie Harrison, who ran against Lindsey Graham, raised more money than any other Senate candidate in the history of the country. And he still lost pretty big. Now it's a red state. Kentucky is a red state, but you did not see this blue wave that just sort of took out uh, Donald Trumpism everywhere. So what you're left with, even if Joe Biden becomes the president, I mean, in the absolute, absolute best case scenario for Democrats is these two Georgia Senate seats uh, go to runoffs and the Democrats win both of those seats. Then it's a 50-50 Senate. Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker. And then they got a Democratic Senate with no margin on anything. Most likely, that's not going to happen. Georgia's still a red state. You don't have the president on the ballot this time. So most likely, you're going to have probably a 51-49 uh, Senate. And then Mitch McConnell is going to be able to stop a lot of what Joe Biden wants to do. And you have this divided government. Um, the Trump people's on this, because of the way that the president has played this, will be uh, it was fraud, it was rigged, it was illegal don't believe it. Joe Biden's a cheater. He shouldn't be in there. And that's probably the way that Biden will enter office. So the question that I have just as an American citizen is, how do we deal with that? I mean, the, the, to, to think that, I mean, how do you bring people back into the tent? And, and the question would be, if Donald Trump does lose, you know, is he going to do the sort of magnanimous George H.W. Bush approach, which is this man is now our president. I'm rooting for him. Come on in. Let me know how I can help you. There is no indication based off of anything that Donald Trump has done at any point in his life that that is what he will do. He could surprise us. Actually makes good business sense for him to do that. But um, it's hard to believe that. And then the question is, what would his role be? 
And one thing that's interesting, Melissa, you know, one thing he could do, he could run for president again. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Really, really, Alex, you had to to plant that seed. (laughs) As if we don't have enough going on. He could, though. He could run for president again. His son could run for president. His daughter could run for president. I mean, you would imagine that he's going to want to, if he's not the president, have some sort of, whether he does he buy one American news network? Does he start his own network? Does he have a TV outlet? Does he have some sort of digital outlet? I mean, to think that Donald Trump, who you know uh, better than we do, Melissa, is going to want to just like take some time off and, um, you know, not be a part of the conversation seems to be against who he is. Do you agree he, with that? Oh, my God. No, he's not going anywhere, anytime especially not quietly. But you brought up the the record turnout, which we have had. It's the largest voter turnout in history. When the last in, 120 years. Two years. To be exact. And, yeah. and then also the huge mo- uh, turnout of, uh, you know, millennials and a bunch of Gen Z, like mm-hmm. my son, all came out in record numbers. Mm-hmm. What I find fascinating, and this is also from talking to my son, they came out in record numbers completely divided, mm. which I find really interesting mm. because the younger you are, usually the further left you Although lead. the poll, the polls would show that Joe Biden's going to win a giant share of that. Of yes. The younger voters. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, my son is in Ohio, like he's on the yeah. ground. Mm-hmm. In that, in an area that's very polarized. Mm-hmm. Right. How, how do, go ahead, Sabrina. Alex, have you also seen that, um, I've heard that a lot of the Latino voters really came out strong. Did you hear that also, JD? Like yeah. really, yeah. really strong. Like really yeah. feeling like, you know, we've got to make a difference too. Our voices count. Yeah, but that but, was split yeah. as well. well. That was split as well yeah. because- Yeah, uh, so I mean, that's- a, very, I'm sorry, Alex. Oh, yeah, you go ahead. Cubans came out very strongly in favor Mm -hmm. of Trump. Yes, they did. Fear fear of socialism, whereas Mm -hmm. other other part of the Spanish-speaking population came out more Biden's way. That's divided Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I saw that, too. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that not everybody, just because you happen to be uh, somebody who's Spanish-speaking, have the same cultural experiences, an elderly Cuban woman in Miami is going to have a very different experience than a Gen Z kid in uh, East Los Angeles. Right. Uh, Just like uh, the African-American community is not one monolith and shouldn't be treated that every single person that happens to be African-American thinks exactly the same and is going to do exactly the same thing. Um, And that's another reminder uh, that we see in in the poll results. We also have to look at class when it comes to that. Like, you know, the idea that when we're talking about the Cuban community, there is a class issue there, which is what divides how the Spanish speaking community votes. Whereas in the African-American community, I think it's a little bit different. I think there is a hopelessness in the African-American community. And so a lot of people who don't vote feel like it's never going to change no matter what. And then there's this extreme left who feel like, why should we continue to give our votes to a system that doesn't recognize our oppression and our pain? So I think it varies different in the African-American community than it does in the Spanish-speaking community because it's just based more on class from my experience. Yeah, and the, and the Cuban community, of course, has their own history and goes back to 
to Castro and JFK and feeling that the Democratic Party was not there for them and that Republicans historically have done more Mm -hmm. against the person that they view as their oppressor. And so you look, especially with older Cubans that uh, have a lot of experience and memories of that era are really loyal to the Republicans, whereas some of the younger Cubans maybe don't have that same attachment. But I find that fascinating for anyone who's an immigrant to be able to support Trump with all of the crazy stances on, you know, especially within the Latino community, with all the immigration stuff, with the cages, with all these different things. So that's, that for me, I couldn't get my head around. The only thing I could figure out with within the Latino community was I know that the men were also very attracted by the macho. Well, and, and that's, yeah. And I think there's also a cultural thing that, that some on the left may be missing with some folks in the Latino community. The Latino community, which obviously is not a monolith, but some aspects of the Latino community um, are religious, are culturally conservative because of that, culturally conservative when it comes to Catholics. Some of them are, are pro-life, as, as you know. Um, many of them really hardworking folks um, who you know try to do their best to, to um, sort of do their thing and, and not cause a big scene in the process and, and keep their head down and do their hard work. And so how do they feel about some of um, what we're seeing that the quote unquote woke left, you know, and how does that play with the Latino community? I mean, I think the, the lesson here is that I think a lot of folks maybe in Hollywood uh, or in the, you know, that, that spend a lot of time on Twitter or spend a lot of time watching MSNBC may see think that the world is one way, but when you get outside that thought bubble, um, I think there's a realization or there should be a realization for folks on the left that the country as a whole probably isn't there or not there yet. And the same is true for folks that spend all day watching Fox News. I mean, we saw this this press conference, we're recording this on a Thursday, yesterday was Wednesday, Uh, Rudy Giuliani came out with Eric Trump throwing out what seemed to be just sort of ridiculous conspiracy theory accusations that felt like a, a, a Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity monologue. Now, for folks that spend every night watching that, and that's how they get their news, that, that, that sounds right. That sounds good. Um, but for folks that don't, that, that listen to a lot of other things, they don't think or talk that way. The president himself got in trouble, I think, during the debates when he was throwing out some of the Hunter Biden storylines, which they talk about every night on these Fox News primetime things. So if you're, if you're a regular viewer of that, you can just use code words and you know exactly what you're talking about. But a lot of that did not break through to the larger culture. And a lot of people were like, what is he talking about? Um, and so the, these bubbles are a real problem. And, and you're seeing that exacerbated, I think, with the election results in that. To me, to me, the most surprising thing and the biggest takeaway, big picture, regardless of who wins the presidency, is just the extraordinary level of division in this country. Can I just say one thing, Melissa, about the, uh, the immigration, uh, immigrant perspective that you were saying? I think one of the things that I would add to what Alex said is the idea that when people are immigrants in this country, there is a belief that when you join, you assimilate and you become a part of the dominant culture. I think for a huge part of the Latino community, it's about that. It's about the more you align yourself with the oppressor, you become as much in power as the oppressor. It's an illusion that has fed many immigrants throughout history. And there's another point, there's another point too, that, that, uh, that having covered a lot of Trump rallies over the years, not as 
many this year because of the pandemic, but having spent a lot of time with the president and with his supporters, um, Latinos for Trump, when you talk to them, many of them are legal immigrants Correct. Um, that went through a very complicated, very hard process, yes. took a lot of years and a lot of money and a lot of pain to go through all that. And then they are very, very against illegal immigration because they did go through it the right way. So oh, some okay. of his comments about we want to crack down on illegal immigration plays to them because they feel like other people are taking advantage of a system in a way that they did not. And that is completely understandable. I just want to run back for one thing, roll back. The fact that I don't think Rudy Giuliani is really in a position right now <laughs> to be commenting on anything. He was well, in a position, all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just a reminder how delusional some of us are. That's all. One, it's also a, a reminder of um, how precarious the Trump legal position is right now. If the person that is uh, the, your, your top legal scholar coming up with the strategy right now is Rudy Giuliani. It, it's, it's, it's so alarming on so many levels. And we obviously yeah. also know that the pandemic caused a lot of the, the change in the way we have voted. And going forward, do you think we're going to revert back to sort of the more traditional way? Or do you think we're now on a path where the next thing you know, it's going to be, you know, you could do it on a secure site from your home? How do we think this is going to play out? Well, we're, we're, we're definitely a few steps away from a secure site at your home. Right. Uh, that's deeply problematic from a um, cybersecurity perspective, somebody can hack into it and they are not nearly there when it comes to the cybersecurity efforts to protect something like that. But um, what we did this time, you know, I mean, it, it, I can speak more, more, more clearly about California because that's, you know, I do a California politics show and I was with the governor of California last week. And what the governor said yesterday, Gavin Newsom was like, we may just do it this way going forward. I mean, we had in this state, we had record registration. We had record turnout. I don't know about you. I don't think voting's ever been easier here. It's, uh, it's never been not, easier. We did not have the long lines on election day that we had back in March when they tried a new system out because so many people had voted by mail uh, in advance. Uh, they, it was spread out over time. Everybody had an opportunity to vote. Um, it, I mean, it was really easy. And what it resulted in was a lot more people doing it. So why would we go back to the old system? Now, there are, of course, folks on the right who say uh, that, that this system leads to a chance for voter fraud. We have not seen um, great evidence of that. We did see evidence of problems with like, I got sent two ballots. And I know other people got sent ballots that weren't their names and other things like that. But whether those ballots will be returned and whether they're able to pick up on that, some of that would be interesting to see as we go well, forward. And, and speaking of California, specifically the Los Angeles, Orange County area, number one, I've seen, especially here in the Palisades, someone lit the library where our mail, where our drop was on fire. And right. then the guys, the people in Orange County who put out fake uh, ballot boxes. Right. I mean, how, do, how that to me, a, you know, kudos for creativity, but <laughs> what, what I'm, what scares me is people were putting their ballots in it. Yeah. I mean, there has to be 
a national referendum, so to speak, on voting procedures, you know, in a way that it's the same across the board, that every state isn't different. Pennsylvania had this brand new thing with a double envelope. And if it wasn't in the double envelope, it wasn't counted. I think that's one of the things we really do need is a way that we can't get into this pickle in such a divided country. So everyone can just take a deep breath and know that everything is on the up and up. Which is it's complicated to do what you're saying because right the Constitution leaves the voting process up to the states. So some of that would probably require like a constitutional amendment or major changes, which aren't so easy to do. Right. We don't need to get into some sort of a con- bog down in the weeds of the Constitution because I'm someone who yeah. believes, for example, that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. And we can't, you know, what they believed right, in right. 1776 does not necessarily apply now, you know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, you know, going, you know, grab the musket, (laughs) you know what I mean? Let's go, (laughs) you know? So I I do believe that's changing. And, and frankly, frankly, the founders would not uh, say that you should even be allowed to vote. And the rest of our our colleagues on this call would be three-fifths of a a person if we were going based off of what the constitution said. So maybe it's time to reform some of our thinking on that. Well, and, you know, and again, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of, What's so terrifying about? Why not, Melissa? We're stuck in Groundhog Day anyway. Why not? Well, I was going to say, with, 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 you know, my concern over one of our most, of our new, two last appointed, newly appointed justices who say, who are con- strict, strict, strict constitutionalists. So, but that's yeah. a different thing. I want to ask, especially with JD here, I want to say, or I want to ask, in my opinion, even if Trump loses, he's not going anywhere. He is going. For him, the power is he will be able to mobilize virtually 50% of the country through a tweet. And the level of anger and level of extremism and poor behavior has reached new heights. If you're Biden and you're coming in, how do you start to reel it back? How? How? You know, mm-hmm. it, it seems an insurmountable problem. The one thing that Biden has to do is he has to engage the black audience. He has to convince us that he has a place for us in his administration. And we see that symbolically with Kamala Harris. But in reality, he has to show that there's some work that's going to be done to rectify what's been happening for the last four years. And I've said it before, Trump is a symptom. He is not the the problem. He is just an example of how bad the problem can get. And I think that he has to fear for his own life and at the same time find a way to engage communities of color to have conversations with us about what matter. I mean, the, the issue is still a lack of healthcare, a lack of jobs. These basic issues that feed poverty are still hugely impacting communities of color. And if that's not number one on his agenda next to coronavirus, that's gonna be a problem. And education, we're yeah, still- and, but, he, but he has to also address the American public just in general, because we are so divided, whether you're black, white, green, purple, you know, I remember something that Shirley Chisholm Ed once Crew, said, beige. yes, which was, <laughs> um, you know what, all of us at some point came over here and, you know, on a boat in some fashion. We're, we're all in the same boat now and we better wake the hell up and understand that. And right. I think we're just so divided. Yeah, but here's here's the thing about that is that 
unless you speak to the most oppressed and make them create, create some sort of uh, safety, then other, other people are watching while you're doing that. So whatever posture he takes in terms of showing people that they're valued, the people on the outside are going to decide whether they're going to join him or stay against him. That's the thing. He has to make it a priority that people matter and not just, you know, uh, the group that voted him in, but also he has to speak to the white women who vote in a higher percentage this year than they did in 2016. Why do they keep aligning themselves with a misogynist? So he's got to figure out a way to how to get engage them and gain their trust and belief. I agree. Do, do you think there's danger uh, for some of those white folks who see some of what's happened with Black Lives Matter and, and don't understand it and maybe threatened by it, um, mm -hmm. that if he goes too far in that direction, he may alienate some of those people. He's got to find the balance. He, I, I, I don't I, think, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, JD. I don't, I don't think there is a, a concern for him going too far overboard and them seeing it that way. It's all about how he engages. You know, you yeah. bring people together, you invite them in. I don't see him as somebody who's just going to just talk to black people on the left. I think he's got to figure out how to bring people in to engage them, invite them into a conversation about why people matter. I mean, we're looking, we're, we're alive during a period of time where literally people are saying your life doesn't matter. If you're not bold enough to have a statement to say, no, their life matters, their life matters, their life, you know, we all matter. And I'm going to show you that in my representation of how I approach the issues that deeply affect the most oppressed. Because until you speak to that, I don't think you're going to get a lot of people to trust you anyway. Do you think people are, and what are you hearing, Alex, are moving? And I, I, it just popped in my head because I'm hearing this from my friends. People are moving more to the center. When I, I'm not seeing people move to the extreme left and the extreme right as much. Everyone's kind of moving toward a little bit more towards the center. Are you are you seeing that at all? Either one of you? Well, I yeah. guess it depends on how you define people. <laughs> Which people? <laughs> you know, because we do see uh, if you look at social media, that would not be the uh, the case. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think there is uh, there is a group of people that are. Um, that are more centrist, but I think what this election is also proving is that, you know, the tribes are really strong. You know, I think most Americans now view politics kind of as a team sport. And it's like, we support our guy or you don't support our guy. And, and you kind of make excuses for your guy because he's on your team. Uh, like it was interesting, you know, the day, you know, the Dodgers recently won the World Series, right? And uh, we had, uh, yeah, woohoo to that. And uh, Justin Turner, this strange situation where they pull him in the eighth inning because he's got coronavirus, and then he decides to come out afterwards and go onto the field, uh, not wearing a mask or much of it, hug and kiss everybody, hold the trophy, like do everything you're not supposed to do, right? Right. So the next day, we send out reporters to Dodger Stadium uh, and ask uh, fans, what do you think? And almost every single fan made an excuse for Justin Turner because he's their guy. He's the guy on the team. And so they find a way to make it work. Now, if that had been a Rays player who had done that, they probably would have been outraged by it. Just like if you talk to Houston Astros fans, most of them will probably make an excuse for their team cheating a few years ago. And I think some of that aspect, that sort of I'm blue team, I'm red team, uh, is there with a lot of Republicans who are making excuses for Donald Trump's behavior that would never, ever, ever, ever allow a Democrat to do that. But then you think back in the, you know, the late 90s, how many Democrats made excuses for what Bill Clinton did, uh, where a lot of them, if it was the other side, wouldn't have been so cool with that either. 
Um, and so there is, I think, a lot of that in the way that people view and think about politics. It's like, is this my guy? Is it not my guy? And then that's where they know how to think about stuff. Well, also, you bring up the tolerance of hypocrisy. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. I think we have seen that continuously mm-hmm. from both sides mm-hmm. of the aisle. One hundred percent. I mean, you, you, my frustration is that people don't acknowledge hypocrisy and when someone does like a Lindsey Graham with the whole you know we won't do we won't put in a new Supreme Court justice and you have the tape and suddenly no 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 no, don't believe what I said believe believe this and I think that is one of the lasting effects of what of Trumpism and I think especially in the media I mean how much responsibility does the media have to actually take in finding our our country in the place it's in Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you got to have uh, an audience that listens or wants to listen, right? I mean, you can report. Uh, I mean, it, that's an easy thing. Here's what Lindsey Graham said four years ago. Play the tape. Here's what Lindsey Graham said now. Play the tape. You don't think the media in South Carolina did that a lot? No. You don't think all the Jamie Harrison's ads did that a lot? $100 million worth of ads? And then ultimately, the people decided, we don't care. <laughs> so, yes, a lot of that is on the media, but some of that is also the responsibility of voters. Right. Um, I mean, I think that whole thing, you know, Republicans, in my mind, would have been better off to just be honest about their intentions. Four years ago, say, look, we, Obama doesn't have the votes to pass Merrick Garland, so we're not going to do it. We think the Supreme Court's too important. We think that, you know, being pro-life is one of the most important things. We're in favor of all this, and so we're just not going to do it. And now we do have the votes so we can do it. Don't come up with all these, rant, you know, these excuses that you don't actually believe in. That, that just makes you look ridiculous. Um, I think people are over the, the bullshit. Let's hope. Right? So before I let you guys go, I think the big question on everybody's mind, um, you know, and it goes back to my favorite historian or one of my favorite historians, and John Meacham, who wrote, you know, about our better angels. Mm. Um, how do we get there? Is there a way, or is this the, like for me, is this the country I'm leaving my son? Are we, I mean, I, I would not be surprised if at one point California secedes. Like that would <laughs> not surprise me at all. Um, where, where do we even be? Oh, and especially coming into Thanksgiving. So I guess JD first for you. How do we not kill our relatives? How high are the emergency rooms? How stacked are the emergency rooms going to be? I think they're going to be pretty stacked. I think, <laughs> look, here's the thing for me. I, I agree that the media has responsibility in what it feeds us. I agree that mm. the, uh, the way the algorithms are, they're fed to feed us what we, what's going to pump us up the most and keep us most enraged, and that is problematic. But I think a lack of education is a huge problem here. We have to find a way to show people, teach people about history, what has worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past, and how we move forward. Until we continue to have these difficult conversations with honesty, I don't see that we stand a chance in hell, quite frankly. Well, let's let, you know, I would not want to be a a doctor or a nurse in the ER on Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving weekend, to be honest. Alex, what do you think? How much responsibility do you think the media is going to have in helping heal the the, the nation? I I do think the media, the media has a responsibility. And and I think, as as she just mentioned, the the algorithm, um, there's a perverse incentive system set up. 
that the more outrageous thing that's put out there usually does better uh, versus, um, you know, most people are not clicking on the nuance policy discussion. Um, They just aren't. You know, people choose, I mean, basically what the media has chosen to do since it, you know, TV news became profitable with 60 minutes back in the 70s for the first time before it used to just be something that the, the, networks did as a public service. Now it's viewed as something that people are trying to make money on. And it's huge and profit so, centers for the networks. What, yeah. Huge. And so what the, What does the media do? It feeds people what they want to see because it's a business. So, you know, why do we cover car chases, which is not my favorite thing? Um, because the ratings significantly go up every time we cover a car chase because people like watching car chases. Um, and so... Why did people in 2016 give Donald Trump all that free airtime, $3 billion worth of free airtime? Because people wanted to see the show, because he puts on a good show. Donald Trump put on a way better show than Jeb Bush put on, or than Marco Rubio put on. Or Hillary so Clinton, that, when it came Hillary down to Clinton, it. Mm-hmm. Or frankly, Joe Biden. Yep. You know? And that could be a reason in the end, you know, if he was able to pull it out, that, that, or keep it as close as he has, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a reason for that. I, I think, uh, you know, JD mentioned education, and I think that's an important thing too. I think we, as a society, need to make a decision to, to not only teach civics in a better way, but teach media literacy in a better way. Um, I think people need to, um, in high school, in middle school, have a real understanding of how to sort through this information tsunami that comes at everybody. I mean, I have a hard time doing it. I'm a professional who does this every time and is fairly nuanced in the way that I think about stuff. I don't even know how I would be if I was 15 years old right now and all this stuff is coming at you and social media and everything. How do you, what is truth? What's not truth? What are good sources? What are bad sources? How do you see things? What, you know, how do you uh, put a different information up against each other? To me, that's as important as teaching physics or calculus. You know, I mean, that should be a part of what we do in our school system. That should be a part of who we are. That should be a discussion that parents have with their kids on how to sort through some of this information so that we can grow the next generation to, to think in a more sophisticated way because God knows they're going to need to. Um, and then in terms of Washington, look, Joe Biden, by his nature, if he does become the president, um, is an old school politician from another era who believes in like having deals in the Senate and like, you know, having a beer with somebody and finding a way to make things work. Um, How much is he going to be allowed to do that? How much power is he going to have? Who knows? But I do think instantly he will try to bring the temperature down because his nature is not to go out on Twitter and put something out that says, stop the count. That's right. not, that's just not who he is. So, I mean, I think. Or uh, what was it? What was si- it? Liber- liberate, liberate Mis- Michigan. Right. So I think there, <laughs> there could be a collective deep breath uh, where people's anxieties naturally go down a little bit. If it's not constantly being fed with stuff that is intended to divide you. I mean, Donald Trump is the first president in modern history who has made no attempt to bring the country together because he doesn't think that that's valuable. He has made the political calculation that that getting his base riled up and keeping people divided is a better strategy for him to be victorious. There's been no other president that has thought that on either side, or at least not said so publicly. I mean, every other president has at least pretended to try to bring people together. Joe Biden's nature, and based off of everything that he has said, including what he said yesterday, is to do the opposite of that and to try to bring the country together. 
Folks on the left think he's naive for doing that and think that that's not going to work and that Republicans are going to beat him doing that. Um, but the question will be, are there folks that are more in the middle and are they willing to go along with that um, now that maybe the heat of the presidential campaign isn't quite the same? And hopefully, hopefully they can get some stuff done because there's real need to get stuff done. We're in the middle of a pandemic with more than 200,000 people dead, millions of people unemployed. We're gonna have a housing crisis in this country. All these folks that have not been paying rent, all of a sudden that rent's gonna come due. You know, we could have an eviction crisis. We could, all these kids that have been out of school, what's, what's gonna happen to all these kids who've been getting terrible learning via Zoom and then all of a sudden are majorly behind? What's gonna happen to the kids that haven't been able to do sports and art and everything else? I mean, we are headed to an even worse crisis than we're in right now when we actually have to deal with these problems. And if we can't come together and even attempt to work together, America's in a really tough place. Let's hope, let's hope that we can. You guys, fascinating as always. Uh, hopefully, maybe next week we can all get together again and actually talk about the steps forward. JD, yeah. Alex, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Appreciate it.